Greetings, brethren. I hope the Feast of Tabernacles this year is inspiring and profitable for you all. A question asked often concerning the millennium is, will we have technology and how advanced will society be? Will it be strictly an agrarian society with kerosene lamps, horse and buggy and primitive tools, or will technology play a role? What about electricity, automobiles, computers, airplanes, mobile phones, or other advanced technological devices? What will be God's approach toward material products, manufacturing, and industry in tomorrow's world? In the last 100 years alone, consider the explosion of goods, products and processed foods of all kinds. From toothpaste to tractors to barbed wire and ballistic missiles, we see products without number. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 30, the Apostle Paul comments that a characteristic of mankind would be inventors of evil things. And while this is primarily referring to ideas and concepts, we can see how God has given mankind creative capacity similar, in a physical sense, to his own. But God wanted that capacity to be directed for good and right purposes, to work, to build, and to care for his environment. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. Then the eternal God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Attend in the King James Version is dress, but it means to work, to labor, or to serve. Uh, the word keep means to guard, observe, or give heed. Has humanity worked to guard, observe, and give heed to the resources God has given to it? Has humanity been good stewards of the physical blessings of God? Well, sadly, the answer is no. But there is coming a new day when all humanity will have a renewed focus and will develop what has been missing for the past 6,000 years. And what is it that has been missing? God was looking for a product from mankind. And what was that product? What product is God looking for after the return of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom of God on this earth? What product is God looking for in the lives of each of us now? The title of the sermon is The Product of the Kingdom. Now, the principal raw materials used by the nations of the world are cement, wood, and steel. A 2009 report titled Overconsumption, Our Use of the World's Natural Resources, produced by Sustainable Europe Research Institute, or SERI, on page 3, states the following, quote, Humans today extract and use around 50% more natural resources than only 30 years ago, at about 60 billion tons of raw materials a year. Given current trends of growth, our extraction of natural resources could increase to 100 billion tons 
by 2030. End of quote. Now, of course, the increase in population over the past 30 years plays a role in this increased use of resources. However, to put this into perspective, the metal and non-metal components of Tower Bridge in London weigh approximately 11,000 tons, not including the 70,000 tons of concrete in the piers underneath the Thames uh, supporting the structure. But that is roughly the same amount as in the entire Eiffel Tower. Maybe you've been to London, you've seen Tower Bridge, maybe you've been to Paris and you've seen the Eiffel Tower. But that means that humanity is consuming the equivalent of roughly 6 million tower bridges or Eiffel Towers per year. All these resources are going toward fueling a global lifestyle that is simply unsustainable over the long haul. The report continues, quote, People in rich countries consume up to ten times more natural resources than those in the poorest countries. On average, an inhabitant of North America consumes around 90 kilograms, or about 198 pounds, of resources each day. In Europe, consumption is around 45 kilograms, about 99 pounds per day. While in Africa, people consume only around 10 kilograms, about 22 pounds per day. End of quote. Now, it's no real newsflash that those in the Western modernized world are the greatest consumers of resources. But will there be a significant change to this trend before the return of Christ? Would the richer, more technologically advanced societies of the world be willing to give up their gadgets? Mobile phones, tablets, smartwatches, and other creature comforts to be able to take the burden off the world. I think you know that simply won't happen. But understand that the world will not run out of raw materials anytime soon, but there will be a growing battle for rights to the resources that are available. This battle for material wealth and resources has been a major reason for war. And we know that world war is coming. In Revelation chapter 11, Revelation, the 11th chapter, Revelation chapter 11 and verse 18, the nations were angry and your wrath has come in the time of the dead or the nations that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great and should destroy those who destroy the earth. At the end of this present age, the earth will be pummeled by hydrogen bombs and the cities laid waste. Dr. Douglas Winnale in the March-April 2002 edition of Tomorrow's World magazine in the article titled, How Will the Earth Be Restored? states the following, quote, Scripture indicates clearly that God does not take lightly the environmental devastation human beings have wrought on the earth. God's instruction that we are to be wise stewards of His creation carries heavy responsibilities. We will be held accountable. 
Those rejected by uh, Christ at His coming will be the ones who did not follow the instructions they were given, including instructions about caring for God's creation. End of quote. Mankind will need to learn good stewardship during the millennium. Christ will press a massive reset button, figuratively speaking, for the benefit of all humanity. In Romans, the 8th chapter, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 and verse 20. Romans chapter 8 and verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. You know, can you and I turn back the clock, reversing the effects of 6,000 years of human misuse and abuse of the earth? You know, no amount of recycling, uh, recycling efforts, hybrid cars, or personal stewardship will undo the damage of countless oil spills, mountains of rubbish in the oceans, air pollution, water pollution, chemical spills use of fertilizers and pesticides, and even household chemicals that are poured down the drain. And if we're honest, is that really the most important thing we have to focus our lives on at the present time? In chapters 40 to 48 of Ezekiel speak of the time of the rebuilding of the temple during the millennium. Turn with me to the 47th chapter of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47, beginning in verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. Uh, for the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. Skipping down to verse 7. When I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. And then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish. We know all the fish in the oceans during those final plagues uh, uh, die. But this is the restoration. There will be a great multitude of fish because these waters go there for they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. Skipping down to verse 12. Along the bank of the river on this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. 
Now, God has a plan in place that will reverse the damage to the earth. And during the day of the Lord, as I mentioned, all the waters are utterly polluted, destroying all life in the seas, but that's restored. The waters originating at the temple are for healing, and they will restore the earth's seas and all the creatures in them. The trees by the river will be for healing. Numerous other translations show it properly as healing, not just medicine, but actual healing. Overconsumption and materialism may be characteristic of those in first world or what we would say today core countries, the wealthier nations of the earth. Yet in third world or the, the nations on the periphery, those countries, you know, many still live in somewhat primitive dwellings. They have a modest lifestyle of gathering what's necessary to eat uh, for their immediate needs. And while they may be less materialistic and consume much less annually, these more primitive cultures are plagued with the same social woes as the more developed nations. We think about HIV and AIDS, superstition and unhealthy lifestyles. The whole world will need, need to be healed for sure. But we see something lacking in both of these extremes. And what is that? What is that? We again, we go back to the beginning, back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 and in verse 16. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16. And the eternal God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God gave mankind the work of tending and keeping, you know, laboring and observing, looking after God's creation. His efforts, his work was to take place in the Garden of Eden the garden of the Lord, as it's called, the place where he would walk and talk with God initially and then expand out to the rest of the earth. But then God gave mankind a choice, a decision, which, when made, would decide the fate of humanity for the next 6,000 years. You see, God was looking for a product. He was looking for mankind to produce something, but not something physical. And what, brethren, is the product of the kingdom? The product of the kingdom will be character. What is character? According to the website, The Art of Manliness, in the article, What is Character? It states, quote, In the 17th century, the word came to be associated with the sum of qualities that defines a person. These qualities include a man's intellect, thoughts, ideas, motives, intentions, temperament, judgment, behavior, imagination, perception, emotions, loves, and hates. All of these components, William Stratton Bruce writes in 1908's The Formation of Christian Character, go to the shaping and coloring of a man's character. They all have 
some part in producing that final type of self, that ultimate habit of will, into which the man's whole activities at last shape themselves. End of quote. Our character is defined by the choices we make. We are being made every minute in that way by the choices we make. God wanted Adam and Eve to make a choice, to choose the right way of life symbolized by the tree of life. The establishment of the kingdom of God on earth is about the reversal of the terrible uh, curses that decision uh, brought uh, those curses under Satan's influence, uh, that decision made by our first parents. Those curses, the re reversal of those curses uh, will be uh, dealt with at the end of the age whenever Christ returns, the restoration of all things. But what do we see? Because of the decision that was made, Adam and Eve, we see pain in childbirth. We see thorns and thistles. We see working against the land instead of with it. You know, a mist came up and watered the earth at that time. And those curses will be lifted, as I said, when Christ returns. With the tree of life restored, and God's Spirit made freely available to humanity, the product of the kingdom will be character. Mr. Armstrong states in the Mystery of the Ages on page 69 that, quote, character must be developed. It requires the free choice and decision of the separate entity in whom it is to be created. But further, even then it must be instilled by and from the holy God who only has such righteous character to endow. End of quote. Woodrow T. Wilson, he's the 28th president, American president, he's quoted as saying, character is a byproduct. It is produced in the great manufacture of daily duty. You know, what better way to learn character than through hard work? And certainly an agrarian society would provide that kind of opportunity. I grew up on a farm of sorts, and we had all kinds of animals, and the animals needed to be fed, they needed to be watered and cared for. Their needs had to be met, and it's hard work. If you've ever worked on a farm, you, you know that. Hard work. I remember uh, growing up that I had various opportunities as a young man to do different kinds of jobs. One of those jobs, I remember, was cleaning out an old uh, tractor reply, uh, supply and repair uh, company. They were moving from where they had been since uh, probably the 1940s uh, into a new facility. You know, it was hard work. It was dirty work. And my brother and I, uh, we worked on that uh, over the course of a summer. But it was character building. And we talk about that experience even to this day. We have a picture even from uh, one of those days, and you can, you can hardly see our faces. It was so dirty. But, you know, that hard work, 
working together toward a single purpose and goal, it can produce lasting memories and it can, it can help build strong bonds. And that's going to be the case during the millennium. Families working together, working together to build those memories and to build those strong bonds and at the same time building what God wanted to have built all along and that is holy, righteous character. Again, I remember whenever I was uh, young, I was probably about 13, and I was working at a country club, and they said, we need a a ditch, a drainage ditch uh, uh, dug. And so they set me to that task. And they said, just start here, make it this deep, make it this wide, and go all the way across the property. And I spent that summer digging that ditch in between my other duties. And there was a sense of accomplishment. When you get done and you look back and you see how far you've come, you know, that's going to be the result as, we, as those families arrive at the end of the millennium and they look back and they see all that has been developed together. That persistence, that continual daily effort paid off. And it will for them as well. Whenever I was growing up again, I, I remember hot tar roofing buildings with my dad. And we would go and we would replace even the shingles on, on houses. But dad didn't want us talking while we worked. Uh, there's an old saying, one boy, half boy, two boys, no boy. And so he knew if my brother and I got to, uh, got to talking too much, nothing would get done. It would just turn into horseplay and we wouldn't accomplish anything. <clears throat> but he was trying to instill in us diligence. He wanted us to focus on the task at hand. He wanted us to build that character. When you see someone diligent in their work, they have develop, developed their character in that area. Proverbs 22 and verse 29 tells us, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. The James of Fawcett Brown commentary states on that particular proverb, Success rewards diligence. Proverbs 12 and verse 24, The hand of the diligent will rule but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. The King James Version says will be under tribute. And so he'll be dependent. The lazy man will be dependent upon the diligent man. And we need to develop a sense of purpose, a sense of service, a sense of urgency in all that we do. And we do need to learn to serve selflessly. It's part of building that character, part of that tending and keeping uh, way of life. Many of you are familiar with Helen Keller. She was deaf, mute, blind. She said, character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experiences of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved. And so the decisions that you and I are making day in and day out define our character. 
And what kind of character is that? We are to be developing the holy, righteous character of God. And that's something that only God can endow, impart to us after trial and testing and a directed exertion of our mind and will against human nature. Then and only then will we, we, will we be found worthy before God. You know, God has to do it, though. We have to have Christ living in us. It is the righteousness according to faith, ultimately. The faith of Christ in us. But we have our part to play. We have to be strong against human nature. And we understand that's Satan-inspired human nature. Satan, by the time uh, the millennium begins, he'll be bound. He won't be able to influence humanity during that time. And they will have to fight against their human nature, just like those in the white throne judgment. They will come up, and even though Satan will be out of the picture by that time, they will have to battle against human nature, just as we have to do so now. We have to be strong against human nature, against the poles of the flesh. We have to be strong against self and society and Satan. God is the supreme, perfect, righteous character. God is reproducing Himself, His character in you and me, but we have to be willing participants in that process. This world's character is founded on the way of get, on greed and pride and selfishness and vanity. And while God's character is the perfect expression of love, God is love. God is a family, and it's a loving family. And just as character is the product that God is looking for, so I'd like to cover some aspects of character, some words that help us to describe those component parts as like in a manufacturing process. And we certainly are works in progress for God as we develop that character. It's good for us to examine ourselves against the meaning of these words. You know, virtue, virtue, behavior showing high moral standards. And we recognize that the law of God is our code of moral conduct. And we need to have virtue. We need to be consistent in our keeping of the law. And we can do that through Christ living in us, through the power of God's Holy Spirit as it gives us the strength to obey. You know, purity, that means freedom from contamination. When we look, look at the world around us, uh, it doesn't take long to see that it is contaminated. Uh, and when Christ returns, He will establish the kingdom of God and it will be based on purity. It will take away in time the contamination of Satan the devil on the world that we see around us today. Honor, you know, to know and to do what is morally right. To know it and to do it. Honor. Do we walk in a way that is honorable? Can others look at our example and recognize that the way that we're conducting our lives is good and right and can be followed? 
because God is training and teaching us to be leaders in His coming kingdom. Courage. Courage, the bravery, the strength to do in the face of pain and grief. To have the courage to go forward even if difficult times come upon us. Even if we struggle from time to time or if we have something that was completely uh, unexpected. Loss of a loved one. It takes courage to go on. Even the loss of a job, if it's unexpected. It takes courage to forge ahead. Fidelity. The uh, Marine Corps in, uh, in the States, and we know we don't take part in military war and service, but uh, the Marine Corps has Semper Fi or Semper Fi, Semper Fidelis. It means always faithful. That fidelity is loyalty, faithfulness. And Christ is looking for those who are loyal and faithful to be there, to reign with Him, to be the kings and the priests at that time. Industry, the capacity to work hard. Do you like hard work or are you averse to hard work? Uh, Would you rather be doing other things? Maybe lounging around or playing video games or whatever it might be. But there's something to be said about being industrious, having the capacity to work hard. You know, Ecclesiastes 9.10 tells us, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Is that your approach to work? That's going to make a difference. That's going to show others what kind of character that you have when you apply yourself in that way. Tact. Tact. It's the skill and sensitivity in working with others. We are developing at this time the ability to work with one another. A perfect opportunity for that is even in the local congregations. As we uh, learn to bear with one another, to go through the good times and certainly go through the bad times, the difficult times with one another, where we, uh, because we love one another, we can overlook a, a small slight. We don't have to feel like we, we need to take vengeance or anything like that. We learn to work with others. We learn to get along. We learn to have that sensitivity to know, uh, you know that we don't want to sing songs to a heavy heart. If someone's going through a difficult time, we're able to adjust and modify, modulate ourselves to be able to work with others. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul. He said, I became all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And so that should be a focus as we're in this training period, as we're developing the character of God. Part of what we should be developing is the ability to work with others skillfully and to be communicators, to develop those facets. And we can do that in so many different ways. Uh, Maybe even reading books on those kinds of subjects, educating ourselves, and then getting out there and socializing, uh, fellowshipping. Sometimes in the congregation we can see individuals that come into services and they sit down. Maybe they open their Bible and they're reading, but they're not fellowshipping. Uh, They leave right after services. We want to 
make sure that we are developing this skill and sensitivity uh, in working with others, communicating, fellowshipping in that way. And this is a perfect opportunity, even at the feast, to develop those skills. Sometimes we, we don't have large congregations. Uh, and going to the feast at times, for some, they will go to uh, a larger feast site. They have the opportunity to fellowship with uh, a wide range of people with interesting backgrounds. Ask other people about uh, how they came into the church. Uh, ask them about their lives and uh, get that conversation started. We think about consistency. You know, consistency. Are you consistent? Do you have a routine? Do you wake up in the morning? What's the first thing you do? What's the second thing? <laughs> you know, hopefully soon after you wake up, prayer and, and Bible study uh, is part of that daily routine. And then at the end of the day, making sure that you pray, giving that morning and evening sacrifice in that way. Do you have that consistency? Can God tell there's a, a, a consistent routine about your life and he knows that you're going to be there studying your Bible, praying, and that uh, he'll be there with you as you do those things. Certainly don't let down in doing those things when you're at the feast. I think focusing on that so much more while you're at the feast is important. Uh, you're preparing yourself to go in and, and, and be in the services and, and be an encourager and, and someone who is there to, to uh, care for and strengthen uh, the brethren. But you need God's help to do that. You have to be praying for God's Spirit in the morning uh, to be able to have the, the uh, help, the extra help that you need uh, to be that kind of, of, uh, of servant uh, for God in that way. What about cheerfulness? Now, some are just dour. <laughs> they just have a, a more negative or pessimistic approach to things. And that's something that needs to be overcome. It's part of our character that we need to uh, learn to look at the positive, learn to see the silver lining. And uh, I've often heard people say, well, I'm a realist. That's why I see the negative first. Well, most pessimists say they're realists. And so we want to make sure we don't fall into those traps and we lock ourselves into a certain mode of thinking. Try to break those line of, uh, that line of reasoning and just be cheerful, be positive. Uh, that does a lot for how others will interact with you and certainly it helps to strengthen others when you are more cheerful. So... Uh, try to do that at the feast, try to do that each Sabbath, and certainly try to do that throughout the week uh, as you go through your life. We don't want to put on a Sabbath face. We don't want to put on a feast face. We want to put on uh, a Christian face, and that is one that's cheerful. What about contentment? Contentment. You know, the state of satisfaction. Do you feel satisfied? Or are you always looking for the next thing? We talked about uh, these different devices, gadgets that can be a part of our lives. We, we don't want to be ruled by those. We don't want to come under the power of those things. 
We can use them for the good things that they can do. Certainly, uh, many good things that they can do as we try to spread the gospel through uh, the Internet and try to reach all these uh, phones that are in people's hands. But we don't want to always have our minds on what is next and being discontent. Uh, that's not going to help our character. We need to be in a state of being satisfied in whatever state we're in. The Apostle Paul mentioned that. He learned to be abased and he learned to abound. And uh, that's, that's a part of our character that we can develop. We can learn to just be thankful. Thankful to God for everything that he's given to us and everything that can, he can, continues to do for us. What about perseverance? Perseverance. You know, a, a brief definition of that is doing despite difficulty. You know, continuing forward despite the difficulties that you may be in. God helps us learn perseverance. Uh, this Christian life is not uh, going through a rose garden. Uh, there are sufferings. There are trials and tests. But God can give us that perseverance. And we can develop that perseverance with his help. We need to build that in our uh, heart and mind to be able to go forward. We know that difficult times are coming. And we're going to need that as to be a component of our character. Persistence means continuing to do. <laughs> so not just doing through the difficulty, but continue to do. Don't give up. Don't grow weary while doing good. Continue to do. Don't let down. Uh, sometimes, you know, you can think about it. Uh, things go well for so long, and, and that's a blessing when things are, are going well. But if things do turn quickly and there are challenges, sometimes we can let down. We can fall back into old habits, and we don't want to do that because that reinforces those habits. Uh, we don't want to f fall back into old sinful habits. Now, the habit that we should uh, develop whenever we are in these difficult times and things change quickly is the habit of falling to our knees in prayer, asking God to deliver us and help us and strengthen us through whatever it is we're facing. These are all parts of this Christian life that will help strengthen our character so that we can be there so that we can be a king and a priest in God's kingdom. We have to have this character. And that's the product that God is looking for in all of us to be building now. What about sincerity? Sincerity. Uh, singleness of mind. A singleness of approach. Not duplicitous. You don't have one way of life that you live during the week and another one on the Sabbath. You don't have one uh, thing you talk about when you're around your, your worldly friends, friends in the world, uh, at work or whatever it might be, and then things you talk about when you're around brethren. Being sincere, having a singleness of approach. What about self-control? Certainly a component of the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. If you're not in control, who is? I think that's a good question to ask. Develop that self-control. 
The Apostle Paul said he brought his body under subjection. You know, and he he knew that he had to control his his affections, his passions, his desires. We need that self-control, and we can pray for that, that God would give us that component of His of the fruit of the Spirit, that that would be the result of our life, that that would be part of our character. What about confidence? Are you confident? Well, there can be a wrong kind of self-confidence, a wrong kind of self-confidence that, that uh, is you know, extreme uh, in that way, but there can also be a confidence in what God can do. And that kind of calm confidence, a trust in God that you know things are going to work out. He's going to provide. You know, He's seldom early but never late. He gives us just what we need when we need it. That kind of confidence goes a long way in this life. And it's part of the character that we need to have. That total trust and confidence in God. What about respect? Respect, due regard for others. And we live in a society that uh, this respect for those in authority, uh, respect for parents, uh, respect for teachers, it seems to just be going by the wayside. There's not mutual respect. And as that continues to impact the world around us, it will have an impact on the church. And so we have to resist that. We have to recognize what God is looking for is a respect. Respect toward Him, respect toward certainly the church and the ministry, respect toward our parents, and respect toward one another. And we're to submit to one another uh, in the fear of God. And so we need to have that respect, not devaluing one another, uh, thinking we're better than the other person, but having that mutual respect. What about adaptability? Are you adaptable? Can you change whenever your situation, your circumstance that you're in, or your environment changes? Or do you resist that change? You know, it's, it is the, the resistance to change, the resistance to trials that can bring unnecessary suffering on us. And so we need to be adaptable. What about ambition? Ambition, a strong desire to achieve success. God wants us to be successful, but He wants us to be successful according to the rules and within the, the parameters of uh, where we're not uh, trying to step on others to climb a ladder. Uh, there's a lot of selfish ambition in the world. That's not the kind of ambition that, that pleases God. But having ambition, just a strong desire to achieve success. And we do that collectively. Uh, as a team, we can also have individual success, but not at the detriment of others. We know there are so many other things we could talk about. Patience, the fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering, the truth... You know, is your character defined by honesty, by truth? What about zeal? Do you have enthusiasm? Are you passionate for what God is doing and you're trying to do your part? What about charity? Having that outflowing concern for others, giving. 
God loves a cheerful giver. And the Apostle Paul recorded Christ's words saying that uh, it's better to, uh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That needs to be part of that character that we're developing. We have all these different aspects. And as we think about them, we can ask ourselves, how am I doing in these different ways? We do have the uh, instruction in God's Word to evaluate ourselves, to examine ourselves. And we can do that all year long. You know, just as physical products are produced in this world through the manufacturing process when they begin as raw materials and their works in progress, so also are we. And we're the raw material that God is working with and we are works in progress. God is not finished with us yet, but when we've developed the heart and character of a king, we will be given great opportunities to rule over mankind under Christ. Only God can heal the damage this earth has sustained under man's rule, influenced by Satan. And only God can heal the damage caused by living a life of sin. You know, there's a restoration that will happen to the earth and there's a restoration occurring in our lives. And that's going to occur in the lives of those living during the millennium. You and I will help the humans living at that time to develop the character of God just as God is doing with us at this time. We'll work with them, we'll encourage them, we'll strengthen them, and we'll test them in a variety of ways. We will be able to do that because we will have learned those same lessons during this life. We will have developed the character of God during our physical lives now. In Romans, the fifth chapter, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God the, uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's right. We have that hope of, of glory, the hope of righteousness to come. We know we still have struggles during this life. We're not perfect. Our character still may have gaps that need to be filled in, and we can continue to work on those gaps. But we have the hope of future righteousness. We're told about that in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 5. Verse 3, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who or which was given to us. And so the hallmark quality of the character of God is love. We have that love shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we need to allow God's love to shine through in all that we think, all that we say, and all that we do. Not just at the Feast of Tabernacles, but indeed throughout the year.
in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. By this we know love, because He laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees, you know, sees long enough to understand what's happening, uh, to know what's needed, and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We need to have that sincerity in the way that we show love to others. You know, Timothy is an example of love in deed and in truth. In Philippians, Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2 and in verse 19, Philippians 2 and verse 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his, Timothy's, proven character, that as a son with his father he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. And so, this proven character of Timothy. You know, Timothy had proven character. He had showed by his words, by his deeds, that his desire to serve was, was there in sincerity. He wanted to give. He wanted to love God's people and even the entirety of humanity in the efforts to preach the gospel. And that's what the preaching of the gospel is. It is an expression of love to humanity as we reach out uh, to all the world. Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States, is quoted saying, Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. And before we can reign as kings, God will test our character by giving us a variety of opportunities to lead. We have those opportunities through work. We have those opportunities in being parents, uh, even in uh, the congregation. We may be given certain opportunities to lead. And we all, in that way, lead by example. How we lead tells God much about our character. You know, if, if uh, you were given a city and you were the king over that city, what kind of king would you be? What kind of character would you display if you were given that right now, today? Would the people groan or would they be thankful that you're there? Would they be excited that you're there? 
that you care for them, that you are truly there for the benefit of all and that you're serving all. That's one of the hallmarks of true Christian character is that humble servant leadership. And we saw, we see that during even the Passover service when we wash one another's feet. The humility that we develop through that uh, that uh, that washing of the feet, the foot washing. You know, we should strive this feast to set an example of love, of service that will radiate outward to others, not just within the congregation, but even in the area uh, where God has placed His name, the feast site. Prove to God that your overriding goal in life is working with Him to produce the product that He desires to see, the holy, righteous character. And that happens through that uh, daily prayer as you walk uh, by the way, as, they, as it says in, in uh, God's Word, as you sit down, as you rise up, be thinking and praying to God and develop that relationship with Him. And as you develop more and more love toward God, you will develop a strong desire to keep His law. You will not want to disrupt that relationship. You will want to walk with Him, not only now during this life, but for all eternity. And that is a strong motivator, strong motivator to continue forward in a consistent and content manner. Brethren, God has not called us to merely stumble over the threshold of the kingdom. He wants us to be courageous, to be strong, to be loyal, and to be dedicated to His plans and purposes. And while we may need to wait to understand fully what role technology manufacturing, and industry will play during the millennium, we can be busy now in research and development as a work in progress of the most valuable product in God's eyes. While this world has produced a mountain of physical products, the product of the kingdom will be character. Develop with the help of God the product of the kingdom now that holy, righteous character. Gain the victory over self, society, and Satan and prepare to enter into, when that day comes, your eternal destiny.